17, if you have your Bibles and you're not there yet, Matthew chapter uh, 17. Submission is not a word that we like. It is not a word that we enjoy hearing. We are in a culture that tells us to not yield to anyone, that we need to stand up for pe- to people. We need to fight for our rights. We need to exercise our power. We need to have the last word. We need to have a say. Uh, we need to show people who's boss. We need to make sure that people know we can't be pushed around. These are ideas that our culture is full of that we can sometimes even adopt into our own way of, of thinking. And uh, it's not only our culture. That was true in the first century. The Roman culture did not like the idea of submission either because Submission in our minds indicates weakness. That's usually what you think of is if we have to submit, then that must mean we are weak and we are inferior. And so that's why we're not going to submit because we are not weak and we are not inferior. We're going to show people, we're going to take a stand, we're going to draw a line in the sand. And what is interesting about this particular scene that we have in the life of Jesus is he's going to take his, this this seemingly curious event and use it as a very important teaching opportunity about the idea of submission and what that's supposed to look like in the life of his disciples. So I want you to notice the scene as it's given for us in Matthew chapter 17. You have a, an interesting question that, that comes about and Verse 24 of Matthew 17, it says that they've come to Capernaum. So they're in Galilee. They're in the northern part of Israel. And the collectors of the two drachma tax come up to Peter and ask a question. Your translation may say temple tax. The two drachma tax is assumed by scholars to refer to the annual tax that was paid at the temple each year. And so these tax collectors seem to come up now and want to ask a question. And you will notice that the text doesn't say that they're trying to trick Jesus, trap Jesus, get him to say something uh, that's going to get him in trouble with Jewish leaders. It seems to be an, an honest question. Does, does your teacher pay this temple tax? Does he do that every year? And you will notice that in verse 25 that that Peter answers in the affirmative. Yes, he he pays the, the, the temple tax. Now, based on what Jesus is going to do, it seems that Jesus has paid this in prior years. And that's why Peter says, yes, uh, our, our teacher doesn't avoid the tax. He's not uh, rebelling against the tax or anything like that. But it doesn't appear that they've paid it quite yet this year. And maybe that's why the question arises. But what is interesting is that Jesus uses this to get a, give a quick illustration. And then that illustration is going to push a teaching. Notice the, the simple illustration that he uses in verse 25. And he just asks the question. He says, so, so what do you think? I've got something for you to think about here, Peter. What do you think? From whom do kings of the earth take their toll and taxes from? Do they take it from their sons or do they take it from everyone else? (laughs) 
And obviously the answer is, I'm not aware of kings going around, you know, to the bedroom. Hey, kids, time to pay up your taxes this year. You take it from everybody else. The family is exempt. The sons are exempt. You take your taxes from others. And and that's what Peter responds in verse 26. He says, from others. And notice that Jesus draws a conclusion from this. He says, therefore, the the sons are free. (laughs) The the sons don't have to pay this, this temple tax. And I want you to notice that in a very quick and simple illustration, Jesus is making a statement about who he is. So here is this temple tax that is supposed to be paid every year. And Jesus then asks a question to Peter. Do you think the sons have to pay taxes of the king? No. All right. Well, that's my father's house and I'm the son So obviously I'm exempt from paying taxes to the temple. Uh, That's my father's house. He's the ruler. He's in charge. He has authority and he's putting on himself. I'm the son. And since I'm the son, I'm clearly exempt from having to pay those things. Now, here's what I think is particularly interesting is that verse 27 does not say, so Peter, go tell them I'm the son and I'm exempt. (laughs) That, I think, would have been what we would have done with this. Okay, I don't have to pay, and I'm going to show you I don't have to pay. I'm the son. That's my father's house. I'm exempt from the taxes. But rather, Jesus does something else. You will notice that Jesus makes a, a, a curious thing here in verse 27 when he says, However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The two drachma tax would have been a half a shekel. So you go with a shekel. It's going to pay for two people. And so Jesus says, go down to the sea there. Cast your line in, pull up a fish. You're going to have a shekel there. And then you go ahead and pay that temple tax for me and go ahead and pay it for you. And now I want you to notice something that Jesus says here as to the reasoning why. Look at verse 27. He says there, however, not to give offense to them. I want you to notice that Jesus has made a whole case in a very quick, simple illustration that he is completely exempt from this. He has no need to pay this temple tax. He probably could have used a number of different means of argument, but the argument's pretty simple. Father's house, I'm the son, I'm exempt. Taxes for others, not for me. But rather than putting his line there and saying, therefore you go tell them who I am, Jesus in verse 27 says, however, So that we don't give an offense, so that we don't cause a stumbling block, so that we don't make an obstacle to the ministry that we are doing, I want you to go get the shekel out of the fish and go ahead and pay this temple tax anyway, even though I'm exempt. And I think Jesus teaches us something here so important That he lays out for his disciples that he is going to submit to paying this tax 
because he doesn't want the work to be discredited. He doesn't want this to be a reason for anybody to look at Jesus and go, well, clearly he's a lawbreaker and a rebel and we shouldn't listen to anything that he has to say because he can't even follow the rules around here. He says, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to give offense. I don't want to be a cause for sin. I don't want this to be an obstacle ultimately for the gospel. And this point that Jesus makes here is really the the thrust of what we're going to talk about this morning is that noting that even Jesus submits himself in all of these areas of life and that we are called by Jesus to submit in every area of life. Now, I want to challenge your mind for a minute. And think about, is there some arena in life where we can say, I don't have to submit, I can do whatever I want to do. And sometimes we can think, yeah, I can just do whatever I want to do. But I would like to just take a quick tour of the scriptures for a moment and have you think about how often the scriptures remind us about how we are to submit to others in every area of life. Obviously, right out of the gate, we're told to submit to God. We're told to submit to our spiritual leaders. We're told to submit to governing authorities and every human institution, everyone who possesses authority in the land that we live in, we're to submit to. We're told in Ephesians 5.21, we're supposed to submit to each other. And then I want to challenge you a little bit more and think about when Jesus told us to love our enemies, is that not submission? Doing what's in their best interest, doing good to them, not repaying evil for evil, but doing what is right by them, doing what is good by them, thinking about them, that loving your enemies is also an act of putting them ahead of ourselves, yielding ourselves and submitting ourselves. We're told in marriage, love one another, submission, same pictures being being given there. Whereas children, you're supposed to obey your parents. We're told to obey our earthly masters. Just about everywhere you run in the scriptures, you have God saying, you're supposed to give yourself to everyone. You submit to everyone. You love everyone. That the life of the Christian is truly a life of submission. And there are a couple of unique ways that the scriptures portray this. And Jesus as well. And we're going to look at. One of the things I want you to think about is sometimes the way the apostle Paul puts this idea. I think is, is very vivid and very helpful. You might remember in the letter to the the Corinthians, in his first letter, he has a situation there in chapter 6 where there are disputes among the brethren. They are arguing to such an extent that they are exerting their rights over one another and taking each other to court. Chapter 6, verse 1, they says they have lawsuits against each other. And I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul says as he goes through that. He he asks a, a, a question. He says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? 
but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even to your own brothers. It is interesting that Paul does not simply say, all right, we need to have a sit down and work it all out and try to figure out who's got their rights and who's exercising this and exercising that. Let's get through all that. One of the things that he points out is why aren't the disputes just being handled in a way where you submit, where you just yield, where you just take the wrong, where you are rather defrauded instead of just fighting for what you think you ought to have. Now, the Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote it to the Philippians. He said this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What do you think about this idea of counting others more significant than ourselves. Now, here's how I like to read that verse. Count others more significant than yourself if you like them. If they're your friend. If they're nice to you. If they've done good things to you. They're very friendly. Uh, you owe them because they've done such nice things to you. We want to read this with some loopholes in it. I will consider others more significant than myself if they deserve it, right? I mean, that's how I want to think about it. If they deserve it, then sure, I will go ahead and yield. I'll submit my will to their will and submit my interest to their interest. But if I don't like them, well, I mean, come on. That's why the the next line of what Paul says is so staggering. I want you to have the same attitude that Christ had. And you know where Philippians 2 goes, right? And then he starts talking about the whole death of Jesus in Philippians 2. I want you to have his mind who was amazing the glory of God and yet submitted himself to the will of creation. He did what was in the best interest of the world in coming to the earth. And he uses that as the picture of what it means to count others more significant than than ourselves. And I think it's sometimes hard for us to get our mind around the idea that as followers of Jesus, that in walking in his steps, being a disciple means submitting like Jesus submitted. Now, I want you to notice that's actually in our text in in chapter 17 of Matthew. I skipped it. Let's go back to it. I intentionally read a paragraph a little bit past where we are. Go back to verse 22 of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, verse 22. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. Have this attitude that was in Christ. Well, what was the attitude of Christ? But a giving of himself for the whole world. A giving of himself for everyone. A giving of himself to enemies. A giving of himself to those who even stood against him. And even what the wording is of Philippians 2 that is so powerful that following Jesus means that there is a laying down of our rights and a laying down of privileges 
for the good of others because that's exactly what Christ did for us. There in Philippians 2, when it talks about how he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, to be used to his own advantage, to be something for his own personal benefit. He didn't use that for his own selfish purposes. That would have really changed the gospel accounts, wouldn't it? You know, somebody comes up to him and does something cross and he just goes, watch this. (laughs) I'll just shut his mouth. He doesn't use equality with God as something to go about touting of, watch me do this. I'll do, I'll exert my rights and my privileges. Rather, he laid all those things down. That's what's so amazing. Why the text says he emptied himself. He just laid down rights. He laid down privileges and gave himself. And this is why the scriptures are constantly trying to underscore to us this important picture of the life of the Christian is submission. And when you look at how Jesus words that in verse 27, what you're seeing Jesus saying is that he didn't want to do anything to discredit the gospel or to be a cause for someone to stumble. And I hope in this moment you'll kind of just start crystallizing in your own mind what that would look like to do things, to live in such a way, to say words so that we are not a discredit to the gospel, that we're not causing people to sin, that we are not putting up arbitrary obstacles to God's good news. The Apostle Paul said it this way, which I think is particularly stunning. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, as he's talking about rights and privileges that he possessed, and he says this, he says, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. See the picture of the Apostle Paul? Even though I'm free, you know, parenthesis, I have rights and privileges to do as I please. I make myself a servant. I'm submitting for the good of others. I give myself for, for others' sake. In fact, he'll talk about to the Jew I became a Jew and to Greek I became a Greek. And then he draws this conclusion at the end of that paragraph. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. I want you to see the motivation that Paul has. His motivation is I have to do whatever I can for the sake of the gospel. I will become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I will yield to them. I will submit to them. I will serve them. I will look out for their interests ahead of my own. I will bow my needs before their needs. I will do what they need. And I do it for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes I think that's the hard part for us when we start thinking about the idea of submission. Is that we don't think about the reason that we yield, 
The reason that we submit, the reason that we put the interest of others ahead of ourselves is not necessarily because of the person, but for the sake of the gospel. We evaluate it from the person. I don't like that person, so therefore I will not. Uh, I do like that person, so this time I will. And I want you to hear Paul say, that's not the evaluation. I don't do this for the sake of the individual because they're a good person and I like them and they're deserving and all of that. I do it because that's what the gospel is all about. That's the call of the Christian. That's the life that we've been called to is putting the interests of others Ahead of ourselves. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote it to to the Colossians. And he talked about working for these human masters. And he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As working for the Lord. What you're doing is you're doing this for God. Don't look at it in human terms. I don't like my boss. I don't like the way they are. They're not very nice. They don't treat me. You're working for God. And then notice the rest of it, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Catch this. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you serve, you're serving Christ. When you put the interest of others ahead of yourself, you're doing that for Christ. When you submit yourself, you're doing it for Christ. Because sometimes what we do is, how can I submit? How can I submit to the government? How can I submit to those who have authority over us? How can I submit in families? How can I put the interest of others ahead of myself? How could I possibly allow myself to be defrauded? Why shouldn't I just bang the table about my rights and privileges? How am I supposed to love my enemies? Don't you know what my enemies are doing? Don't you know how vicious they are? How mean they are? How terrible they are? How wicked they are? And you ask me to love them. How am I supposed to do that? And the answer that Paul is giving us is we can do this because we're submitting to God. That this is the life that we have been called to. It is so interesting that Jesus does not say in verse 27 of Matthew 17, and because you know of my rights and privileges, because I am son and I am ruler over heaven and earth and I am about to be enthroned in this kingdom, I will not pay. However, not to cause offense. And Jesus is teaching us that what we are supposed to do is make decisions that enhance the gospel and don't create obstacles to it. That how we talk to people and how we treat people And how we put their interests ahead of ourselves and how we yield to them and give ourselves to them and elevate them ahead of ourselves. And we think about them and serve them is what Jesus taught us to do because that's the enhancing of the gospel. Because we're doing it to serve Christ. Because the life of the Christian is a life of submission.
So will that change how we deal with people on the job tomorrow? Does it change how we talk and deal with people within our families? Does it change how we talk to people and deal with people in the room? Will it change how you talk and deal with people in your neighborhood? The idea of submission, even if we would say, I don't have to do that. Jesus comes in and goes, I don't have to do that, but I did. I had a loophole, but I served. I didn't have to give myself for you, but I did. I didn't have to put my interest ahead of your interest ahead of my own, but I did. And you think about what Jesus is laying out for us in this picture. It is one of full submission. Well, now let me add a disclaimer because everything has to have a disclaimer. But I think it's an important one. Because I think we like to come up with a lot of conditions in which this wouldn't apply. And yet the scriptures only give us one condition where this would not apply. And it's simply this. Unless submission requires us, I'm carefully worded here, unless our submission requires us to directly violate God's law. Unless our submission requires us to directly violate God's law. This is why you have Peter and John. You have to love it there in Acts chapter 5 after the Sanhedrin come together and say, didn't we just tell you a chapter earlier to quit going around telling everybody about Jesus? And they give the answer, uh, you judge, we must obey God rather than people. You can tell us not to speak about Jesus, but that's a direct violation of God's law and we cannot submit to that. Daniel's a favorite of mine. Daniel's told, 30 days, don't pray. Daniel goes right to his window and starts praying. <laughs> Why'd you do that, Daniel? Because we must obey God rather than people. If the, we are being told to do something that directly violates God's law, we can't do it. But we must be careful that we don't take that rule and go, okay, great, now I don't have to submit to anybody. Uh, yay, loophole, I'm out. I want you to see what Jesus has done for us here. Make decisions that are about enhancing the gospel. Make decisions that get people to see Jesus, that our submission to them and our serving them and our yielding to them will cause people to go, okay, now why are you doing that? Because that's so radically different from the world. Friends, please think about how radically different it is from the world to put the interests of others ahead of yourself. I mean, that's nonsense in our culture. Nobody does that now. We'll drive somebody off the road first because I'm first. I have a right. 
I don't care what it causes. I'm right. How radically different it is to say, yeah, I know I have a right, but I'll lay that down. I know that I have privileges, but I'm going to yield them. And please think about with Jesus, by Jesus submitting himself even to death. Did that mean he was inferior? No. Your submission does not mean inferiority. Was Jesus weak because he submitted? Now, I would probably argue that's one of the greatest displays of strength, isn't it? Strength is to have power and not use it. Strength is having rights and not fighting for it. Strength is saying, I have a privilege, but I will lay it down. That's strength. That's what you see Jesus doing. His submission is not weakness and is not inferiority. Friends, when you submit In all of these relationships, and I'm asking you to think about it in every arena. So we're going to be done in just a minute, and you're going to start right here because we're told that. And then you're going to get on the road, and you're going to practice it there. And we're going to be all right. And then you're going to get home, and you're going to do it with your family. And you're going to get to work tomorrow, and you're going to do it again. And you're going to do it with your neighbors when you see them. And that's not weakness. And that's not inferiority. The life of the Christian is submission. That in every arena, we lay down our rights for the good of the gospel. In every arena, we do what is in the interest of others ahead of ourselves. Oh, how I wish the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 had put a parenthesis loophole and said, unless they... I would have. Thank you. But when you tie it to the example of Jesus, how good were we when he laid down his life? How deserving were we? How righteous were we? How worthy were we? You see why Paul holds it to the example of Christ. Because it gets rid of every excuse and every loophole that we may have. And I'll end by observing here. You would think even of something this simple. Jesus, it's a temple tax. Just walk out there and say, I'm God. Excluded. (laughs) Don't need to pay, folks. Made the world. (laughs) Own all the money there is. And yet he even still said, however, not to cause offense. You go pay for me and for you. Let us live a life of submission. To not give offense. And to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. Let's go to God for prayer. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, the the teaching of submission can be so hard for us. 
Lord, it can be so hard as we deal with various situations and relationships to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. And Lord, I would pray that you would forgive us for all of the times that we have not submitted our will. Forgive us when we have not put the interests of others ahead of our own. Forgive us for when we have exerted rights and privileges that has caused an obstacle to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts today so that we would help, you would help us see that our submission is to you. That when we lay down our lives and we lay down our rights and we lay down our will and we lay down our desires, that we're doing it for you ultimately. Help us to remember that. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to put the interest of others ahead of ourselves in this church, with our enemies, with our neighbors, in our marriages, in our families, and in our workplaces. That, Lord, everywhere we go, we would show your glory through submission. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do it. Convict our hearts so that we could be a radically different people as we live our lives in the days ahead. Forgive us for our failures. And help us to follow the steps of your son who laid it down for the glory that lied ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus this very morning to see that he gave himself for you. Will you give yourself for him? Will you turn away from sin? Will you submit your will to the Father? This is where it all begins. He says, if you give your life to me, I will give you glory and honor in eternity. I'm going to give you the life that you are longing for. I'll fill the void that is ultimately within you. But you need to give your life to him. Submit your will to his. Turn away from sin, repenting of those sins, confessing Jesus to be the son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins to begin a walk with Jesus this very day. We would love to help you. You can... Talk to me afterward, talk to Dan afterward, tap somebody next to you and say, I need to get on the right track with God. We would love to help you. Or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.